You can open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We have a lot of stuff to cover tonight. If you're a note taker, you might want to make sure that you take some notes. We'll be covering a lot of different passages as we look at this first chapter and we consider the theme verse for the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll not only be covering 1 Thessalonians, but 2 Thessalonians as well. And uh, we'll cover, uh, well, the chapters aren't really long, so we'll cover 10 verses tonight. So when I say we'll cover the entire chapter, it's not a really lengthy chapter, but it is a really packed chapter. Now, if you're visiting here with us this evening for the very first time, we're really glad you're here. We hope that you are blessed by the time that you spend here. But most of all, that God would reach out and speak to you, that you would have some kind of a God moment today. We want to welcome those of you who are watching uh, live online. This is a live service. We do that on purpose. We want you to join us uh, while things are going on here, that while God's moving here, God's moving there uh, with you as well. And if you're joining us for the very first time online, we're really glad to have you as well, whatever platform that you are on, there are moderators that are there. Most of them are pastors who are able to interact with you if you need that. If you get annoyed with the texting that's going on during the teaching, uh, I would, by the way, uh, you can swipe that away or you could do something on whatever platform you're at. There's an option for you to get rid of the texting if that's bothering you. All right. So uh, just a couple of announcements for you. First of all, uh, if you're ready to get involved, more involved in the church, uh, one of the ways you can do that and probably the best way to do it is to text Calvary Connect to 94000. You're going to get a link to our connection card. Fill that out and we'll have pastors and leaders who will get in touch with you. You're going to get another link after that that gives you an option to opting in from texting from the church. We send out two texts a week telling you what our titles are, what we're going to be covering and inviting you to church. Just a little reminder. Uh, but as I say, the real beauty of that is that we have a way to get a hold of you that is the best way ever to get a hold of you if there is an emergency. And other than those couple of texts a week, we will reserve it for that, uh, just really uh, for when we absolutely have to get in touch with you. Uh, also, we have uh, our marriage classes, or our, our, our marriage, um, I don't know what you'd call it here, marriage, um, it's a registration for our new marriage, our marriage, our marriage ministry is gonna be doing a series, <laughs> trying to think of the right way to say this, a series called Marriage on the Rock. Where's Johnny? He's going to, Johnny runs that, by the way. Johnny and his wife, Melissa. So where are you at? There you are. Sorry, Johnny. It, <laughs> Vertical Marriage Ministry is putting on Marriage on the Rock, Rocks, and it starts on October uh, 10th. It'll be through October 29th. It's at the, um, it's here at the East Campus. And registration is $30 if you're interested in it, all right? Uh, so with that said, and your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's pray and we will begin. Father, we're so thankful for your word. It really is rich and powerful and meaningful. And um, Lord, we want to pray for a couple of things as we get ready to study your word. We want to pray for Christians that are in Afghanistan that are in danger or feeling in danger now. Christian workers, pastors, leaders, and Christians. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring them safely out now um, as they are looking to leave. Uh, we pray that they would be able, even we would even hear of miraculous accounts of how you are getting Christians and others that need to leave in order to be safe out of Afghanistan. Lord, we also pray for the marriages that are here as we announce the marriage on the rocks. Lord, for those that may be struggling, for those that may need some help, 
May you intervene. May you do a wondrous work as you, as you are so good in doing. And Lord, we also pray that you would bless this time of study. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today we start our study in First and Second Thessalonians. For the next couple of months, we're going to take time to break down what's here and to see some passages that speak to us about the transformation that takes place in our lives from the gospel. The, the, both books have a lot to say about eschatology. That is the study of last days, which is really interesting because the book of 1 Thessalonians is the earliest of all of the Christian books that were written. Uh, I think scholars have kind of come to that consensus now. It was a toss-up between the book of Galatians and the book of 1 Thessalonians. And in my research, it looks like 1 Thessalonians is considered now to be the oldest book in the New Testament. The Gospels will be written some years after this. Uh, right now, while Paul is in Thessalonica, and when he leaves and he writes his letter, and then his second letter to them, uh, the Gospels are in, there, there are the, it's an oral form, and also there are some writings about the, parables and stories and ministry of Jesus that will be compiled in what we know as the gospel today. The reason it's so important for us to understand that 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest books that is written is because there has been a lot of criticism about when the actual gospel developed. When did the idea that Jesus died on the cross, rose again for our sins, when was that idea developed? Well, if you're familiar with prophecy, then you know that there were prophecies in the Old Testament. But when did somebody really get a hold of it and develop it? And there are many that believe that it evolved years, like 50, 60, 70 years after the church. But we see the gospel clearly taught in the book of 1 Thessalonians. In fact, one of the things that we see here is that they are transformed. They receive the gospel and they are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also have our theme verses for the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 2 Thessalonians is going to have a different theme. But we have our theme verses in verses uh, 9 and 10 in, uh, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's where I'd like us to start. We'll talk a little bit about that. Then we'll come back and we'll start and we'll make our way through. And I want to share a lot of scriptures. That's why if you want to take notes, there's going to be a lot of passages here we're going to cover on this theme that we find. So the theme verses are verses 9 and 10 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where it says, For they themselves declared concerning what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who raised him from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So there's three things in this theme, in these theme verses. Number one, that they were, they were transformed from idols to God. The city of Thessalonica was a Roman city. Being a Roman city, it means that they worshiped the Roman gods, which were the same as the Greek gods, by the way, only under different names. So you have the Greek god Zeus and you have the Roman god Jupiter, and they're the same gods. So they, they were the same gods under different names. And they served and worshipped them. And when these Thessalonians became Christians, there was great persecution from the very beginning. 
This, was, uh, this happened during Paul's second missionary journey. Paul had uh, traveled with Barnabas through kind of a smaller loop up into Asia Minor, what would today be Turkey. And in his second missionary journey, he made his way all the way up into the region of Galatia and Phrygia, which is way north. And you can remember where it's out on the map by the names. It sounds cold. Galatia and Phrygia. And he wanted to turn what would be right for them as they're traveling up there and go into Asia. But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit forbid him. And we're not told how the Holy Spirit forbid him. But we do know that Paul suffered some kind of infirmity. And perhaps it was this infirmity. Paul called it an infirmity that would humble him because of the greatness of his message and how God would use him. He wrote to the Galatians and said, you would have given me your eyes if you could. I mean, for there, there's more reasons than that that we believe that Paul had some kind of an eye disease and perhaps that's what stopped him. But whatever it was, God communicated. And God's pretty, pretty good at communicating, isn't he? When you're trying to do something and God's like, no, I got another plan. I've got something else for you to do. And so then during that time while they were hanging out in Troas, he sees a vision of a man from Macedonia which says, come over here and help us. Macedonia is where Alexander the Great was from. It's Europe. They're in Asia Minor, which would be Turkey. Come over here and help us. And so Paul makes his way to the city of Philippi. From Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica. When he gets to Thessalonica, uh, he preaches in the, the temple. It says, as was his custom, he reasoned with them that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, I love that phrase, and I love what he was doing. What he was doing was using the Old Testament to prove to Jews who lived in Thessalonica and Gentiles that the foretold, that Jesus had been foretold to be the Christ. That was his custom. He was, a, he was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament very well. And he was able to go and show them that Jesus had fulfilled prophecy. By the way, that's a great way today to witness. To learn Bible prophecy. To be able to show people that before it ever happened, it came to pass. That's exactly what Paul did. And while he was there for three weeks, there were several people that got saved. And then persecution came. Immediately... The Thessalonians attacked those that were giving their lives to Christ, both Jewish and Gentile. And they arrested a guy by the name of Jason, if you remember the story, and they took some kind of surety from him so that, you know, he would still have to come back and talk to them, and they snuck Paul out. And so Paul was only there for about three weeks. No wonder he seems a little surprised when he writes back and hears that God has transformed things. God does works outside of what we think might be the best way to do it. Having a pastor buzz in for three weeks and buzz out might not be considered to us to be the best way to plant a church. But God had a church planted that became an example to all of the churches surrounding them. Now, we'll get back to this theme verse here in a minute, and we're especially going to focus on waiting for Jesus because they were saved from idols to God to wait for Jesus that God raised from the dead. And this is very early on that this idea of waiting for Jesus comes about. We'll talk more about the significance of that here in a few moments. 
But I'd like us to go all the way back to verse 1, and let's just make our way through this text and see what we can learn. The first thing it says in verse 1 is Paul, Savannah, and Timothy. Now, who is Savannah? It's funny how many times you hear this taught, and they'll just go, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy. It won't talk about who he is. Savannah is Silas. Paul and Silas. You remember that in the first missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas, and then they had an argument over John Mark, who becomes dear to Paul later on, but John Mark had flaked out in the first missionary journey. When it came time to go back again, Paul was like, nope, nope, he was a flake. We're not taking him again. And Barnabas, the encourager, was like, we're taking him. And so the Bible says that Barnabas took John Mark and went on a journey, the missionary journey, and Paul took Silas and went on the second missionary journey. They went up into the area of Lystra and Derbe. It was there in Lystra that they stoned Paul. They called them gods. I think they said that Paul was Hermes and that Silas was Jupiter. But they end up stoning Paul and dragging him outside of the city. And it's there we believe that he had his vision of heaven. But also in the area of Lystra and Derby, he meets a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy has a Jewish mother and a, and a Greek father and has not been circumcised. And so because the first thing that Paul does, his MO when he goes into a city is to go to the synagogues and show through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So he has Timothy circumcised, which is interesting because of the battle we get a little bit later on in the book of Acts. So that's the first thing that he does so that he can go and minister. He is Jewish, and so he wants him to be able to go in and minister to them. Paul had said to the Jews, I become like the Jews. To the Gentiles, I become like the Gentiles. And I think that this is the way that, that he worked. So that's who this is. It's Paul, it's Silas, it's Timothy. It's this team on the second missionary journey that have made their way through Phrygia, Galatia, um, to Troas, over to Philippi, and then to Thessalonica. Now he's writing back to them. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is just his typical grace and peace um, uh, opening to, to the letters that he writes, his greeting to them. He says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you, making mentions of you in our prayers. He reminds them that he is thankful for the work that they are doing, remembering without ceasing your faith, the labor of love, and your patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. So he encourages them for their work. And he brings up, remember how early this letter is, he brings up faith, hope, and love. Those three things he says the greatest is love. Notice it again, verse 3. Remembering without, ce without ceasing the work of your faith, the labor of your love, and the patience of your hope in Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Now the Bible tells us that anybody who believes in him can be saved. And so they are elect. They have become part of the elect church by believing in him. The Bible also said that God says that God draws people who will be saved. So each individual in the church in Thessalonica had been drawn by him and then had made a commitment to Christ and were saved. Verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you 
in word only. And here we get the introduction to the gospel. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. It's important to preach the gospel. I think it's Romans chapter 10 that says, how will they believe if nobody tells them and how are they going to hear if there's not a preacher? And then it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So if you're a preacher, you have beautiful feet. It's just a requirement. <laughs> Obviously, speaking of the gospel, right? So here's the gospel, but it's got to be preached, but it, it's, it can't be in word only. What else has to accompany it? It says, for the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. They had the, the power to transform their lives. We see lives of people changed all the time transformed radically my life was transformed when i gave my life to christ the majority of you guys had your life radically transformed you were living for one thing and you began to live for jesus christ the gospel came to them also in power and in the holy spirit and much assurance that is that the gospel the holy spirit moved with them and they had this assurance that if they received jesus that their sins would be forgiven and they would be transformed and then it says, as you know, what kind of men we were among you, uh, we were among you for your sakes. That the gospel can't come in word only. It's got to come in power. It's got to come with the Holy Spirit. It's got to come with assurance. But it also has to come from people that have their lives right with God. Otherwise, there's no real power with it. The Bible tells pastors in 1 Peter chapter 5 that you are to be examples to the flock. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, we looked at this last week, that we are to consider the outcome of those who rule over you, just meaning pastors and teachers that teach you the word of God, that you're to consider the outcome of their lives. So there's an example of a life lived and then the gospel that is preached and how it can transform lives. Let's do a couple of other things that Paul said about the gospel. In Romans 1, 16, he said... For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Remember the word Christ means Messiah. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Messiah, the, God, the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to anyone who would believe. That's why the gospel has to be preached. That's why it's good to give the presentation of the gospel on a regular basis. We like to give it every week. We like to come to the end of the service, just give a, a, a gospel presentation of how you can receive, how you can believe, and how your life could be transformed. Other churches might not to choose to do it weekly. That's fine, as long as you do it. And there are some that are critical that you give altar calls, that you give people a chance to give their lives to the Lord. Well, that's, that's fine, as long as you have a way that you're reaching out and preaching the gospel. Because it's the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. That's what Paul said. He also said something else in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, which is really interesting. He said, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He will go on to say that I brought the gospel to you. So Paul didn't rely upon persuasive speech. He wasn't trying to put together messages 
that people would go, man, that was so good. I've got to become a Christian. In, in fact, when Paul, this is in Corinthians, this is in 1 Corinthians that he writes that. That's 1 Corinthians 2.4 that he says that. I didn't come to you with preaching. Uh, let me read it again. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It's interesting because Paul goes to Corinth from Athens. When he's at Athens, Athens, he goes to Mars Hill, the Aragopagus, where philosophers would get up and, and present their messages and then interact about it. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul gives this great message on, on Mars Hill. He quotes philosophers. He says, men and brethren, I've been walking around your city and I've noticed that you are very religious and that there are all of these statues of gods around, but I noticed a statue of the unknown God and it is him that I'm bringing to you today. So he uses one of their statues to an unknown God saying, this is the God that I'm bringing to you today. And it's, 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 uh, it's a great message. In fact, it's been used in seminaries, in Bible preparation, uh, in preaching preparation classes as the perfect kind of, you know, message. Because he quotes people and it's just, go, just go back and read it. You'll just see. It's, it's a great message. But at the end of it, it says that some believed, others said they'll hear him on another day, and others didn't believe. And there was never a church started in Athens. Paul had this great message there. But there was never a church started. When Paul gets to Corinth, he says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. That's what he did in Athens. He had wor words of worldly wisdom, words of uh, persuasive words, but there wasn't much that happened. But when he brought the gospel, a church, one of the major first century churches, Corinth, developed. And that should tell us the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ letting people know what they need to do in order to be saved. Letting people know Jesus died for you. He died because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He rose from the dead, which demonstrates to us his power over death. And if you believe in him, you will not die. And even if you die, you will live. And you present the gospel. And the gospel changes people. Sometimes people will come up and say, do you have anything that I can share I got a, a really good friend I, I want to get saved. Can you have anything that, that I can share that would cause them to get saved? If I did, I would have already have shared it. I would have told you already if I did. It's got to be a leading of the Spirit. It's got to be God touching their heart. It's got to be God drawing them. R remember, the Bible says, one man plants, another man waters, and God adds the increase. So this is a supernatural work that's happening through the presentation of the gospel. And so the gospel was presented to them with much assurance through what kind of people that they were. And look what happens in verse 6. He says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Paul in another place says, Follow me as I follow Christ. I don't think Paul wanted followers of Paul. He wasn't trying to make followers of Paul. But he knew that he was following Christ. And if you are genuinely following Christ, and people follow you following Christ, then they're going to make it to the Lord. And that's what Paul says. And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word 
in much affliction. You remember that Paul was only there for three weeks and immediately there was persecution that came from the Roman authorities. Many of them had suffered. We learn in 2 Thessalonians that some had even been killed for their faith. He says, with much affliction, yet with joy of the Holy Spirit. Is it possible that you could have affliction because of your faith and joy of the Holy Spirit? I, I can't help but think about what's happening in Afghanistan even as we're talking. The Christians who have their lives in jeopardy. Some who will almost for sure become martyrs because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And let's remember them in our prayers, but I also believe that God is there with them, bringing the, the peace and the joy, and that God will do some special things to rescue those who he will rescue out of it. It goes on to say in verse 7, so that you, become you have become examples to all of Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So these guys only, only heard the gospel from Paul for three weeks, they got saved, they suffered, and probably part of the persecution really caused them to dig in. And they became examples in all of Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece, and Achaia, for those who believe. So they were the examples. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. I think this is not long after Paul has preached the gospel there. From there, the gospel has sounded forth. He says, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves can declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this news has gone out on their transformation and how they have changed. And that's what happens when we have a transformation and our family hears that we've come to Christ. I, I had a friend of mine who, I was backslidden when he came to Christ, but shortly after that, I, I came back to Christ. And his mother flipped out because he became a Christian. He, he burned all of his Led Zeppelin and I don't know what else, whether album, Kiss albums that he had. He went in his backyard and he burned them. Now maybe that was a little dramatic, all right? to fire up the barbecue pit and to actually burn the albums. But his, his mom called me and said, I think he's lost his mind. She literally thought he had lost, there was such a transformation in him that she literally thought he had lost his mind. And there needs to be that kind of a transformation in us. And many of you, especially those of you that are young, that make a decision to follow after Christ, to live for him, will have a transformation that will happen. You will become a different person and people will see it and they will be drawn to Christ because of you. That is the way that these things happen and work. And so they had come to this faith in God, turning from idols to serve the living and true God. And then we get the middle of what I call this theme verse, to wait for his son from heaven. This is early on. And Paul's talking to them about waiting for Jesus. While he was there, he had to talk to them, explaining to them that Jesus Christ was coming back and that they needed to be ready for him. Just a few verses on waiting for Jesus because we're supposed to wait for him. 
Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. That's a great verse. It's a parallel to 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep, but some of us are going to be changed in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. Now, this is the rapture of the church. And some of you guys are like, oh boy, here we go. I don't understand the rapture of the church. Well, it's a mystery. It's hard to understand. It's hard to grasp. Are people really going to be taken up into heaven? Clothes are going to be left behind. A good reason to have clean underwear, by the way. <laughs> Clothes are going to be left behind. Or is that really going to happen? It seems outrageous, but it is exactly what the Bible teaches. Just because it's strange doesn't mean it's not true. And, and 1 Corinthians 15 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning die, but some of us are going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And this corruptible will put on incorruptible. This immortal will put on immortality. It goes on to say that we will be like Christ. Listen to what the Bible says about waiting for the Lord in 1 Corinthians 1, 6 and 7. This is not long after he told him, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. He said, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you came short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only were they waiting, they were eagerly waiting. That was true also for the verse I just quoted in Philippians. Titus 2.13 says this, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that verse is an important verse for a couple of reasons. Titus 2.13 if you're taking notes, write that down. Because Paul just called Jesus God. I'm going to read it again. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, in the Greek, there's no denying that. He's making a reference to the return of Jesus as God. In Jude 1, 20 and 21, it says... Beloved, uh, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells four parables about someone leaving, people occupying, and returning at a time that no one knows. One of those parables is the parables of the ten virgins. Five of them are ready. Five of them are not ready. When the bridegroom comes unexpectedly, the ones that are not prepared cannot go in to the feast. At the end of those parables, he says things like this, and I just want to quote this one place. He says, Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. He tells us that he's coming back and we don't know when he's coming back. Therefore, we have to be ready. It's one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus will come back prior to the tribulation period. There is a time coming 
and I think our, the world's marching towards it quickly. That is worse than any other time this world will ever see, worse than anything that it's ever seen, the Bible says. And we will not go through it. The church will be taken out. The Bible gives us these promises. We'll look at a couple of them here in just a moment. In Matthew 25, 13, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. If Jesus were coming back in the middle of the tribulation period, he would not come back at a time that I wasn't expecting him. If I get left behind, if I'm wrong, and I get left behind, by the way, there are people that believe I'm the worst person, I'm the worst kind of person that there is because I would teach people that they're going to be taken out before the tribulation, and then you suddenly find yourself in the tribulation, and you're going to deny God because of me. I don't believe that's the case. If I'm wrong, and we go into the tribulation period, we'll die for Jesus. Because that's what's going to happen. The Antichrist has given total authority on the earth. And Christians, after the rapture of the church, there are people who will become believers. They will go through the tribulation period and they will be beheaded. They will be killed for their faith in Christ. But I believe that we will not go through that because we wouldn't make it through. We, we, don't, we are not part of this earth. Listen to what it says in, in um, Luke, uh, Luke 21, verses 34 through 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. This is in Luke 21 after he's talked about the tribulation period and, and his return. Then he says, you, you be careful, lest your heart is weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, and the cares of this life. For that day will come upon you unexpectedly. It comes at a moment you don't expect it. For it will come as a snare on all of those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. That, again, is the rapture. Watch and pray that you would be counted worthy to escape. So someone told me one time, well, you're just an American who wants to escape. My response was, right on both accounts. I'm an American, and I do not want to be around during the tribulation period. I've read Revelation 6 through 18. I've studied it in depth. I do not want to be here during that time. And I don't believe that's just a desire of mine. It's what the Bible says. Pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 4. This is our last verse on this, then we'll go into some on the wrath, uh, escaping the wrath to come. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He says to the Thessalonians, this is later on in this book that we're covering. You guys know perfectly well that, that the day of the Lord is going to be like a thief in the night. Okay, it's going to come unexpectedly. It's come suddenly. He says, for it will come as a snare on, oh, excuse me, um, for when they say peace and safety. And that tells us something about when Jesus is coming back for us. The Bible says that he's going to come back like it was in the days of Noah, like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when they were destroyed. What was it like then? They were marrying. They were given in marriage, it says. They were going on with their lives regularly. And then Jesus Christ will come back for us. At the end of the tribulation period, it can't be anything. It's anything but peace and safety. No one will be saying peace and safety in the middle or the end of the tribulation period. But when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, 
This is the Thessalonians. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so the day should overtake you as a thief. It's not going to come upon us as a thief because we're going to be ready because Jesus told us to be ready. Now, the last part of this, this theme verse is here at the end of verse 10, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The tribulation period is often called a time of God's wrath, a time of God's indignation, a time of Jacob's trouble, but, but Israel will be saved out of it over and over again. It's called a, a time of, of God's wrath, a time of his trouble. And we have been saved from it. This is the only place we're told that we're delivered from the wrath to come. In Romans 5, 9, it says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Revelation 6, 16. And said, uh, and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. Dur this is the beginning of the tribulation period. During the beginning of the tribulation period, there's such bad things that are happening that people are hiding from the wrath of the Lamb. I don't know if you've ever been scared of a Lamb, the wrath of a Lamb, but Jesus is the Lamb, slain from before the foundations of the world, and He is pouring His wrath down upon mankind. People say, well, why, why would God do that? Men are basically good. Mm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that our preset is good. And I'm not so sure that if we were the judge of the world, if you, let's just say you, were the judge of the world, and you had to see what men do to men and what men do to women and women do to children, and you had to see all of it every night in every city in every place. If that were the case, you'd probably already have brought your wrath down upon the earth. God has been patient, wanting all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me just give you a couple more. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, later on in this book, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God doesn't come upon us. People say, well, why do you think that you're going to escape it? Because I'm not a son of disobedience. Because I'm a child of God. Because God's not mad at me. God isn't, isn't angry towards me. I'm not saying that we aren't going to go through tribulation. We are. In this world, we will have tribulation. I'm not saying there's not going to be hardships, but the hardships come from the world. The hardships come from the enemy. The hardships don't come from God. The tribulation period is unique that it is the wrath of God upon mankind, a time when he finishes everything. One more verse, and this is to the faithful church that is in, that is in um, uh, Philadelphia. The faithful church, Philadelphia. Little brain cramp there. Just comes locking up. Um, so there's seven churches, right? And the last church is the faithful church. And to the faithful church, he says this. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from, not through, from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It sounds very much like Luke 21, verses 34 through 37, where you prayed that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come upon those who dwell on the earth. 
It's earth dwellers. And you and I are pilgrims. We are passing through. We are permanent. We don't set a permanent residence here. We're just passing through. And I got to say, praise the Lord that I'm just passing through. That this is not my home. That we are like Abraham looking for a city whose builder is God. But he says, I will also keep it from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is not wishful thinking for some pastors. There, there are a lot of people today that are very critical of it, of the teaching, of the rapture of the church. But men like David Jeremiah, Charles Swindoll, John MacArthur, the list goes on of good, solid, Bible-teaching men who believe that we will be taken out before the time of the tribulation. Now, the fact that they teach it and believe it doesn't make it right. The fact that they are good at studying the scriptures and rightly dividing the word of God and at sharing those things does make it good for us that we can count that we will be able to escape. I think the same thing is true for us in these theme verses, verses 9 and 10, except for the fact that most of us didn't turn from idols, at least not real idols like they did. They had the idols of the Roman gods that they, they served and worshipped. They went to places where idols were to worship them. But we have turned from our idols to the living God to wait for Jesus Christ to come from heaven and we are saved from the wrath that is to come. The same thing that was true for the church in Thessalonica, the first scriptures in the New Testament that were written, is true for us as well. We are waiting for his return. Are you ready? Stand up with me, would you please, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the time that we're able to spend in your word here. And consider these truths about the coming tribulation period, the difficulties that this world is going to face, knowing that we stand fast and sure for you, no matter what. And Lord, we don't serve you because we're going to escape this time, but we know that because we are your children that you will come back for us and that when you return, according to Colossians, we will be with you. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to stand for you during this time, that we would stand being the type of people that when we give the gospel, there's lives that stand behind it and that we would see people transformed. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.